Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The story of the late development of a young woman who has been too long sheltered from life is nearly always sentimental or brutal, but it is here candidly told. It is so intense that one is desolated by a sense of the futility of life and forgets the failure of design. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of TLS Voices. I'm Thea Linarduzzi and what you just heard was the TLS's summary of The Voyage Out, a debut novel published 100 years ago this month by a fledgling young novelist called Virginia Woolf. The reviewer goes on to quote Mr Richard Dalloway, a character in Woolf's novel, for whom Jane Austen is incomparably the greatest female writer we possess because she does not attempt to write like a man. Woolf would not share the unhappy fate of those other women who write like men, the reviewer concludes, because her novel was more feminine, more recklessly feminine than any other. It was also shrewd, clever, mocking, suggestive, subtle and modern, but absolutely not sentimental, cynical, frivolous or hard. Today we're joined on the phone by Hermione Lee, the author of a seminal biography of Virginia Woolf. So, Hermione, to begin at the beginning, can you tell us a little bit about the context in which The Voyage Out was published in 1915? Yes, The Voyage Out was Virginia Woolf's first novel, and it was published, as you say, a hundred years ago in the middle of the First World War. It's the first novel of a great 20th century modernist writer, but one has to remember that it coincides with publications like Anne of Green Gables and Buchan's The 39 Steps, (laughs) as well as things like T.S. Eliot's Proof Rock or Lawrence's The Rainbow or Ford Maddox Ford's The Good Soldier. So it's poised between the 19th and the 20th century. And it does in some ways read like an Edwardian novel. It's, it's kind of hovering between tradition and experiment. And it's awkward and it's too long, patchy, but it's also very moving and interesting and original. And it points ahead, fascinatingly, to Virginia Woolf's later work. I mean, Virginia Woolf was 33 when The Voyage Out was published, but she'd been trying to write it for many years, from about 1907 in her mid-20s. And there, were, there is an earlier draft that was called, or was going to be called Melimbrosia. Mm. And that was published, that earlier draft was published, edited by Louise de Salvo some years ago. But that's really part of the process of the book. Clearly, one of the reasons that she was working it out and working it out was that these were years of great events in her life. And, and the writing of the book also brought together lots of the shocks and strains of her earlier life. So it's not an autobiographical novel, but it does 
contain many of the pressures and emotions of her own life. Um, Virginia Stephen, as she then was, Virginia Stephen's mother died when she was 13, shortly followed by her beloved half-sister, Stella. She endured some sexual aggression, we're not sure quite how much, from her half-brothers when she was a teenage girl growing up in a big family. Her father, Leslie Stephen, had a horrible lingering death from stomach cancer in, in 1904. Her brother, Toby, shockingly died young at 26 from typhoid after a visit to Greece in, in 1906. And then very quickly after that, her sister, Vanessa, on whom Virginia tremendously depended, got married. Uh, the family moved out of the Victorian household after all these deaths into what came to be known as Bloomsbury because it was in the, that area of London. And all, as well as these terrible things that had happened in the family, all the sort of experiments and new friendships of that move, which included a new interest in post-impressionist painting and the suffrage movement and lots of new discussions, open discussions in the group that were pacifist and anti-Christian and anti-censorship and indeed anti-empire. All that sort of fed into the content of the voyage out. And most seriously of all, she had a series of catastrophic mental breakdowns, um, most seriously in 1905 and indeed shortly after her marriage in 1913, involving at least one suicide attempt, possibly more, and, and hallucinations. So when her book was published, when her first novel was published in the middle of the war, she herself was in the depths of an extremely serious breakdown. So these are tremendously traumatic materials that went into the making of this book. But The Voyage Out is, I mean, in simple terms, a sort of a coming-of-age or pilgrimage story. So if you could just give us a, a brief outline of, of the plot. Yes, The Voyage Out has quite a simple plot. It's about a girl, I want to call her a girl, called Rachel Vinrace. In fact, she's 24, so she's a young woman, but she's a very young, young woman. Mm, I, she, think, I think, sorry, I think um, Wolf quite often refers to her, certainly at the start, as just a person, doesn't she? Yes, she doesn't call her a girl or a woman. Yes, she's an evolving person. Mm. She's a very good pianist, but she doesn't have any other talents to speak of. She's had a very sheltered and conventional upbringing, like Virginia Stephen, her mother has died. She has a rather bullying father who's a ship owner. And the story consists of a voyage which Rachel makes with her father's sister-in-law, Helen, Helen's husband, who's a Greek scholar, on a ship. It's actually a trading ship, which is on its way to trade dry goods to the Amazons and rubber back to England. And they go on this ship to an English resort in Latin America um, called Santa Marina. She's a very naive, sensitive, and receptive uh, young woman. Helen calls her an experimental person. And on the ship, she gets kissed by a rather self-pleased English politician, Richard Dalloway, and this kiss, this moment, horrifies her. And at the house that they take in Santa Marina, which is next door to a hotel full of holidaymakers, she meets a whole range of English types, including two young men, Cambridge friends, writers and intellectuals, and she falls in love with one of these young men, Terence. They make a trip into the interior of Santa Marina and she catches a fever and she dies. And that's the story of the voyage out. Um, and there are, there are two main life writing strands, I mean, to use, I think, an anachronistic term. I think that the kind of writing that there is in the novel sort of rather awkwardly 
and interestingly rub up against each other. So there's a, there's, it's a kind of comedy. There's a lot of caricature and satire, and she's clearly cutting her teeth on everyone she knows. There are recognisable pictures of Lytton Strachey, her, her very clever, gay, um, entertaining friend. There's a recognisable portrait of her sister Vanessa. Mm. Uh, there's a recognisable satirical portrait of the hostess Ottoline Murrell. So there's a sort of Jane Austen-type satire going on. But it's also the novel about ways of knowing people. So there's a sort of satirical way in which you kind of box people into their, you know, to their little characters and put a frame around them. And that's rather beautifully uh, symbolised by a scene where Rachel and Helen are looking at the hotel windows at night from the garden. And uh, the author says, a row of long windows opened almost to the ground. They were all of them uncurtained and all brilliantly lighted so that they could see everything inside. Each window revealed a different section of the life of the hotel. So that's one way of, of writing about people or seeing people. And then there's another way of seeing people, which is sort of not as characters or caricatures, but as the essences of personality, or which almost escape description. So Terence, who wants to be a, a novelist, says um, he's, he, he's got a box of matches in front of him and he says, we don't care for people because of their qualities, he says. It's just them that we care for. He struck a match. Just that, he said, pointing to the flame. So it's as if she's trying to experiment with two ways of thinking about how character can be written. And, and talking about, about character, there's of course Rachel's character, which is de developing progressively, and, and one of the central themes being her education in its, its myriad forms. Yes, the journey into the Latin American landscape, with all these English people being rather smug and, and self-contained, is in a way like the colonisation of a virgin land. And to, to a point, she makes a kind of parallel between the voyage into this interior and the kind of journey that Rachel is on. And so Rachel is on a, an educational path which is sexual and intellectual and emotional and probably political too. There's a real question in this book about what should a woman be? You know, how, sh how should she live her life in this new century? It's partly that she's very sexually naive and frightened of sex, and the dangers are made clear. It's quite, it's quite an outspoken book about things like prostitution and male sexual aggression. She's horrified by Dalloway's kiss. She finds it very hard at first to talk intimately to Terence. She has very strong feelings for Helen. So she's sexually quite mixed, and the fact that she falls in love and then dies rather than get married, suggests there's quite a lot of trouble around the whole area of burgeoning sexuality. So the other part of the education is through books, of course, and, and everybody's reading something in, the, in, in this book. So uh, Rachel is like, it's a bit like a new woman novel, you know, Rachel's mm -hmm. reading things like Ibsen and Shaw and Meredith, and she's also learning how to speak freely and how to be herself. So there's a very good scene when she and Helen are talking about how, what she can make of herself, and she's, Rachel's been reading Who's Who, which is the book of great men, <laughs> as it were, and Helen says, no, you can go ahead and be a person on your own account. And Rachel's very excited by this, and she stammers with excitement. She says, I can be m myself in spite of you, in spite of the Dalloways and father, in spite of these. She swept her hand across a whole page of statesmen and soldiers. 
in spite of them all, said Helen gravely. And of course, that's exactly what Virginia Woolf is trying to do. She too is trying to write a new kind of book, um, not to be trammeled by traditions and, and to write impressionistically and atmospherically and almost abstractly about this idea of a developing self. And towards the end of the book, um, Rachel drifts in and out of a fever and there's there's a moment of lucidity and then she dies, leaving the characters to feel um, the grief and deal with it in their various ways. Um, so, I mean, what, what was going on here? What lies behind the writing there? The writing, first of all, is absolutely extraordinary. I mean, even though there are some longueurs in this book, the writing of Rachel's fever and illness and the terrible feelings of the people around her who are waiting by the deathbed, which is clearly very close to the experience of being in Greece with her brother Toby when he fell ill with typhoid. It's really extraordinary. I'll just give you a tiny extract. For six days, she had been oblivious of the world outside because it needed all her attention to follow the hot, red, quick sights which passed incessantly before her eyes. She knew that it was of enormous importance that she should attend to these sights and grasp their meaning. But she was always being just too late to hear or see something which would explain it all. She fell into a deep pool of sticky water which eventually closed over her head. She saw nothing and heard nothing but a faint booming sound which was the sound of the sea rolling over her head. While all her tormentors thought that she was dead, she was not dead, but curled up at the bottom of the sea. There she lay, sometimes seeing darkness, sometimes light, while every now and then someone turned her over at the bottom of the sea. It's the most extraordinary piece of writing, and it's terribly moving, this whole sequence in which all this all this hope and expectation and coming to new life that has been going on is brutally cut off. And I think it is simply Wolf's recognition, which happens in book after book, and this book does predict a lot of the other books, that life is incredibly perilous, incredibly dangerous, incredibly vulnerable, and that any moment we can be cut off short. And so, yeah, universal themes and, and the very this combination of universal themes and, and the very real emotions of, of the author um, that lie behind writing this novel. I mean, is, is yes. that... Yes, and I think that you, that's terribly well put because there are, there are large themes which you feel very closely through the detailed characterisation of, of these people in the book. You become very involved with them. You, you start to want things for them. And even though there are parts of the book which don't work as well as other parts, I think that you get swept up in a very strong feeling of, of, of hope uh, and indeed of love, which gets brutally cut off it's a, it's a it's a comic it's a comic tragedy and it's a very impressive first novel well i mean you, you have to say yes at this stage but um will we still be reading it in a hundred years time another hundred years time i think if something lasts for a hundred years partly because of the later things that she wrote um i don't see why it shouldn't run for another hundred years great that's what we wanted to hear <laughs> Great. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Hermione Lee. Um, it's been lovely to have you. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. For a free selection of pieces from this week's issue, go to our website, the-tls.co.uk. You can read the TLS in full every week in print or via our app, which is available on iTunes and in the Amazon App Store. The TLS. Life in every word. 
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow-up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.